Let's open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 30. So we got quite a bit of verses uh, to work through. And if we had not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kenson. I serve as a pastor of our Bridgeport Church. So really grateful to be with you all this morning. So Daniel chapter 2, uh, we're continuing in our sermon series in the book of Daniel, and this is a book that is meant to encourage you in seasons of hardships and to stay faithful in God, because the overarching theme of the book of Daniel is that in the end, God always wins. He always wins. He will always reign. And if God could give hope and strength to Daniel and his friends and use them to be a transforming godly presence in their culture, he can do the same with us. So if any of you folks have missed our two other sermons, you can always listen to them online on our South Loop YouTube page. So as we get started, let me ask you, what do you do when the bottom falls out? What do you do when the bottom falls out? falls out. You know, a little while ago, I went grocery shopping with my wife, and it's always an adventure because we're feeding a family of six. So we're always buying a ton of stuff, and it's my job when we go grocery shopping to pack the bags. Well, on this grocery trip, we, forget, we forgot to bring our bags, which meant that we had to buy the bags there, which are seven cents each. So I decided that, you know what, I'm going to be cheap here, and, we're, and I'm going to pack every bag to the max. And my wife, who was wise enough to see, hey, you might be putting way too many things in here. I think it's okay for us to spend another seven cents, 14 cents, 20 cents. It's okay to spend a quarter here. It's, it's okay. But I'm like, I'll certain I know exactly what I am doing. So we get home, and as soon as I start grabbing these bags, they begin to tear. Now, the smart thing to do in that moment is to begin to rebag them. But that would have to admit being wrong. So I didn't want to do that. So I thought in my head that if I could be fast enough before they rip, I should be okay. So I grabbed the groceries, and I'm running up the stairs, and lo and behold, the bottom falls out. Groceries are all over the floor, oranges, boxes of strawberries, cans of soup, yogurts, potato chips. It was a mess. Now, what do you do when the bottom falls out? Now, when it comes to groceries, it's no big deal. You just swallow your pride and you clean up the mess. But what do you do when the bottom falls out in your life? What do you do when your career feels like it's falling apart? Your relationships are falling apart. Your body. What do you do when everything feels just to be going so wrong? Now, there's an assumption that when you believe in Jesus that life should be pain-free and stress-free. I believe in God. Life should be great. It should be a cakewalk. No. As Christ followers, we are not immune to the crisis of life. The last two years, the pandemic has proven that. The unthinkable can happen to us. The bottom can fall out. You know, Jesus himself said this to his disciples. Let me show it to you in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It can happen to us. You know, today we're in Daniel chapter 2, 
And just when you think that things have turned a corner for Daniel and his friends, the bottom falls out. Now, let me just remind you what's going on here. It's 605 BC before Christ, and Daniel and his three friends are prisoners of war. They're teenagers between 14 to 16 years old, and Nebuchadnezzar takes these young boys of nobility and enrolls them in a three-year program to learn Babylonian culture and religion. Their names are changed from God-honoring Hebrew names to names that honored Babylonian gods. Most likely they were castrated so they can serve within the king's harem. And Daniel and his friends were constantly being tempted and tested and tried and asked to conform. And by the time you get to the end of chapter one, you start to get a sense, finally, things might be turning around for them. That they make a stand for their faith in God, not to eat from the king's table, and God delivered them and protected them. They graduated from the University of Babylon, and they were found to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the empire. So with God's help, and without compromising their faith, they rose above their circumstances. Things are looking up. Are things finally turning around for them? But then the bottom falls out again. That we'll see in chapter two, the king has a nightmare. And when the wise men of the court can't interpret it, Nebuchadnezzar orders that all the wise men of the kingdom to be killed, which includes Daniel and his friends who just graduated into this role. Once again, not their fault, but now their lives are about to be over. So this is what we're gonna look at today. What does Daniel do when the bottom falls out? Now for many of us, we wanna cry, yell in anger, or just collapse to the ground. That is normal and that is understandable. But what we'll see with Daniel is that when the bottom fell out for him, he turned to the God of heaven. That's what he did, he turned to the God of heaven. You know, here are the three points that are gonna move us along here. First, we're gonna look at the problem. Second, we'll look at the prayer, and finally, we'll look at the praise. The problem, the prayer, the praise. Okay, so first, let's look at the problem here, the problem. Starting at chapter two, verse one, it says this. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation." The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid to ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you its interpretation. Okay, let me, let me stop here. So Nebuchadnezzar is getting these horrible dreams and the word troubled literally means to press on or to beat on. Nebuchadnezzar is getting 
beat on and pounded by these nightmares. So he calls in the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, and you will see this four groups over and over again in the book of Daniel. And these were, these were Nebuchadnezzar's you know, chief counsels, kind of like the White House cabinet here. And they were, tr- then they were all trained for one purpose, and it was the purpose of reading dreams and giving counsel. That these wise men would have a dream book and they would have all these interpretive keys. So what would happen is that you would tell them the dream and then they would go ahead and flip through the book and there would be different elements and they would be able, be able to say, oh, um, the cow in the dream means this. Oh, a bird means this. Cloudy skies mean this. It, it would be similar to like horoscopes or palm reading. But Nebuchadnezzar throws a twist at them. Not only do I want you to interpret my dream, I want you to tell me what I dreamed. Tell me what I dreamed. And right away, he says that if you don't do this, I will tear you limb from limb. Your house will be burned down. Now, this is the problem. The wise men, with all their degrees in education, they were never trained to do this. They don't know how to tell what someone's dream is. It's kind of like when you know that something's off with your spouse. So you go up to her, like I go up to my wife and I say, hey, what's wrong? And she says, you tell me what's wrong. All right, husbands, there is no amount of training that ever gets you ready for that, all right? You just don't know how to answer stuff like that. So in verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar is losing his patience, and he knows that the wise men are stalling. Uh, Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you you can show me its interpretations. Verse 10, that Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So these wise men confess that they can't do it. They literally say, Nebuchadnezzar, you've got a God-sized problem, and we are not God. So in a fit of rage, Nebuchadnezzar orders that all the wise men of Babylon are to be executed, and this is a big problem because Daniel and his friends are among the wise men. Now let me pause here and make an application here. For Nebuchadnezzar, in many ways here, when the bottom falls out for him here, He makes a mistake that many of us do in crisis. We look to the horizontal for help when we should be looking to the vertical. He calls in the people trained in sorcery, talking to the dead, divination and astrology to help him, and they are all a big fail. But the wise men were right about one thing, and it's because, and it's that Nebuchadnezzar has a God-sized problem and only God can help. Look at verse 11 again. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Only God, the only God 
God who can help you is a God greater and higher than any God that is with us right now. So basically saying Nebuchadnezzar, there's nothing, there's no resources around us that can help us. Some of us are in the same place as Nebuchadnezzar. We're desperate for answers. We feel overwhelmed. We feel directionless. We feel unhappy. And the bottom is falling out. The first thing we need is not more books, not more Google, not more experts, not more sleep, not more money, not new age spirituality. We need God. Because the problems we are facing are not ultimately an outward problem, but an inward problem, a heart problem, a spiritual problem. You know, I want to show this to you, that in our story, there's a contrast between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, that for both of them, they're both facing a crisis. For Nebuchadnezzar, it's this nightmare, and for Daniel, he's about to lose his life. But they both respond so differently to crisis. Let me show it to you, that you have Nebuchadnezzar on one side that he can't sleep. But then you have Daniel, and he's able to sleep. And then for Nebuchadnezzar, he's angry and furious. And as we'll see later on, Daniel responds with prudence and discretion. Nebuchadnezzar, he seeks to kill all the wise men in verse 12. And what we'll see later on with Daniel is that he saves all the wise men. And then we also see that Nebuchadnezzar, he looks to the world for answers But in verse 18, we'll see that Daniel looks to the God of heaven. Do you see the difference here? One walked with God and the other one did not. Nebuchadnezzar is a warning for us. Don't look for help in the horizontal when you should be looking to the vertical. The reason that life can be so hard is because we live in a broken and fallen and sin-tainted world. The reason that there is so much hurt, pain, and disappointment, and tragedy, and injustice is because of a broken and separated relationship with God. So if we want change to happen, it must first take place vertically before it can ever take place horizontally. That the problems we face in life are ultimately because of a broken relationship with God. So the solution is a restored relationship with God. That every problem and crisis we face is always first a worship problem. It's first a question about who is God in your life? Who is God in your life when the bottom falls out? And the way that you answer that question is the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. We have a God-sized problem and only God can help. And this leads to the second point, prayer. Let's look at this prayer. Verse 13 here. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra, his companions. 
and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. For Daniel, when the bottom fell out, he fell to his knees. Then he goes straight to his crew of Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra, and they have a prayer meeting to cry out to God. Therefore, Daniel and his friends, prayer is, not th- prayer is their first resort and not their last resort. It's not as though they come together and say, hey, you know, let's open up the books on dreams. Let's see if we can find anything in here. You know, let's gather up the other wise men and see if we can figure out a way to change Nebuchadnezzar's mind or the other politician that we can reach out to that can convince some sense in him, into him. They don't do any of that. Daniel sought after God and asked God for help. And what we need to see here is that when Daniel faces a moment of crisis, he goes into a habit that he has in his life. And that habit is to pray. We see this again in chapter 6, that Daniel's prayer life is so well known that his enemies conspire against him and trick Nebuchadnezzar to make a decree to only have people pray and worship him. Daniel doesn't do it, and he's thrown in the lion's den. We also see in chapter 9 that Daniel writes this really long prayer for his people. Going to prayer was Daniel's habit. When the bottom falls out, what habit do you turn to? What habit do you turn to? Is your habit to go to prayer? You know, oftentimes, and this includes myself here, that prayer is not our first resort, but our last resort. Well, you know, I've tried everything else, you know, but nothing else is working, so I guess I'll pray. I guess I'll throw out that Hail Mary. You know, who knows what's gonna happen, right? That's sometimes how we handle it in crisis. You know, let's ask this. Uh, how, was Abel, how was Daniel able to turn to prayer so quickly? You know, let me give you two reasons why here from what we can see in our verses. First is this. The reason that Daniel can turn to prayer so quickly in crisis, first, is that he knew who he was praying to. He knew who he was praying to. Verse 18, and he told his friends, his crew, to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Now, it's really important that we keep in mind this, this phrase, the God of heaven, because this title is used five times alone in this chapter and all throughout the book of Daniel. We see it in this chapter in verse 18, 19, 23, 37, 44, the God of heaven, that this is a title that acknowledged that God was sovereign and greater than anything else, that unlike the Babylonian gods and the magicians that were powerless to reveal the dreams, this was a God who could reveal. That this was a God who takes the most powerful man in the world and drops him to his knees. That God himself doesn't even need to show up. He doesn't even need to send an angel. He doesn't even need to send a prophet. God just sends a dream and Nebuchadnezzar is in ruins. He is completely overwhelmed. This is the God of heaven. He's the one who is in control of those who are in control. Friends, did you know that this God in heaven is for you? Did you know that this is a God who makes his power and wisdom available to you? Did you know that this is a God who wants to answer prayers? And let me just say that if you really believe this, it would change the way that we approach God in crisis. You know, for example, you've tried to make the relationship work. You've tried to fix what is broken 
and it's all failed, there is good news. There is a God in heaven, and his power starts where yours end. You know what? You've tried to make your kid turn out right. You've told them everything you know to tell them. You've tried to give them everything you know so that they would choose what is right. There is nothing left to do. Good news. There is a God in heaven. You've tried to overcome that addiction. You've tried to find that missing piece, and you have failed so many times. You've started to think, you know, there there is no point to this. There is a God in heaven. You feel directionless in life. You don't like what you're doing, and you're not good at doing it either. You wake up every day, and you feel defeated. There is a God in heaven. You're disappointed in politics, dismayed by our leaders. Democrats disappoint, Republicans disappoint. The violence in the city is out of control. You're frustrated and you're scared. There is a God in heaven. And maybe for some of you, your greatest disappointment is in yourself. That no one has lied to you, let you down, or broken more promises to you than you. And you, just see, and you just don't see any hope for a better tomorrow. Friends, there is a God in heaven. Do you believe this? And if you did, wouldn't it change the way that you approached prayer to know that there was a God in heaven? So first, he was quick to go to prayer because he knew who his God was. And the second reason he was quick to go to prayer is because he knew who he was. He knew who he was. Once again, verse 18, they came together to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Do you know what it means to seek mercy? It's to confess your limits. That when Daniel and his friends prayed, they confessed that they needed a power greater than their own. It means going to God with your hands completely open and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the strength. I don't have the intellect. I don't have the money. I don't have the influence to face what I'm facing. I can't fix this. I can't heal the wound, correct the fault, clean the mess. I can't put my life back together without you. God, you have to take control. Can I just say, this is what makes prayer the easiest and hardest spiritual discipline for a Christian. It's the easiest because anyone can bow their heads, close their eyes, and say words to God. But it's also the hardest discipline because prayers that are effective and fruitful are the ones where we have surrendered our lives to him. It's when we go to prayer and really mean not my will, but your will be done. It's when we come to God in humility, God will do more than we can ever ask or imagine. Now, I've shared this before a couple of times, but I can't think of a better illustration You know, but back many, 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 many years ago, I graduated with an engineering degree from the University of Illinois at Chicago. And this is when you would graduate with a college degree, a bachelor's, and you can actually get a job with a bachelor's. It was amazing. It was was during that time. So I got this engineering degree, and I thought that I was hot stuff. And it was with this confidence, I took the entire summer off and just played around and you just, just did my thing. And, you know, and when the weather started to get cold, I was like, all right, you know, now's the time to apply for jobs. And I did this for months. I went online, posted up my resume, and nothing was happening. 
that I thought to myself, man, interviews and offers should be flowing in, but weeks went by, months went by without a single interview, just constant rejections and calls and emails, and I kept thinking to myself, this shouldn't be happening to me. You know, I'm an engineer, I'm smart, I'm capable, but the bottom was falling out for me. And I remember one afternoon, I, I hit a wall that I was so broken that I just pushed my chair to the side and I fell right to my knees. And I just started sobbing. And I remember praying to God and just confessing, God, I've been so prayerless and so faithless because I've worshiped my achievements. Please forgive me and would you please help me? Please forgive me and please help me. Can I tell you, the very next day, I got two phone calls for interviews, and the following week, I got two job offers. You know, I knew exactly what the timing of everything, I knew exactly what God was doing and why God allowed the bottom to fall out is so that I would know to come to him. And this, this is why when God answers prayers, his desire, you have to notice that when God answers prayers, his desire is not first to give you something. It's not first to lead you to a place, to a job, to a relationship. That when he answers prayers, his desire is to lead you to him. This is why Daniel was quick to prayer because he let go of his ego, he let go of his pride, he let go of his desire for control and it's when he, and it's when he came to the end of himself, he could see God do his greatest work. So let me just ask you, when the bottom falls out, what habits do you turn to? Is prayer your first resort or your last resort? And here's the final point. When the bottom fell out, Daniel praised God. You know, verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, okay? So after Daniel prays, he begins to praise God. Now, could Daniel have complained to God? Sure, I'm in Babylon, not Judah. I'm a eunuch, that's a pretty big deal. And now the government wants to kill me. It's been injustice after injustice after injustice after injustice. Daniel could have cursed God, but he chose to bless God. With all the pressure that Daniel faced, how could he still praise God? It's because as big as his problems were, he knew that his God was bigger. Look at Daniel's praise here, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. That throughout history, there, were, there have been kings and queens, presidents, prime ministers, and dictators. But there is one, once again, who controls those who are in control, and it is the God of heaven. And this is the hope of every believer, that there is a king that is above every king. And when we place our faith in King Jesus, he will help us. Verse 21. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked for you, and for you have made known to us the king's matter. Now, in these lines, Daniel praises God for his omniscience. 
that he, he is a God who knows all things. And this is why Daniel was not in a panic when the bottom fell out, because he knew that even though he didn't have the answers, he knew that his God had the answers. When Daniel chooses to praise God here, he is not minimizing or ignoring the crisis in his life and the crisis to the lives around him. He just doesn't allow his hard circumstances to cloud the greatness and goodness and wisdom of his God. In faith, he entrusted himself into God's hands. And it's with this faith, Daniel stands before the king to give the interpretation. And let me jump to verse 26 here. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Balthazar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel stands before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is like, all right, do you have the dream and the interpretation? And Daniel starts off by saying, no, no. He says, no wise man can do it. I can't do it, you know. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, why are you here then? Like, are you not scared of me? Like, like, what's going on? But Daniel's not done. He says, the reason I am here is because there is a God of heaven that you don't know. And he has told me your dreams. I didn't get it from astrology or board games or dream manuals. I went to the God of heaven. Notice here that Daniel has a window of opportunity for self-promotion. He could have said, I'm really smart. I'm really educated. I got good grades. You should promote me. No. He doesn't take the time to promote himself. He takes the time to promote and praise his God. That Daniel, even when faced with less than ideal circumstances, he gives God all the glory. Might this be the very reason that God has allowed the bottom to drop out in your life is so that you can give him all the glory. That through your dependence and humility that you can show to the world that's watching that he is what satisfies your heart. That he is the center of your life. Might it be possible that God has allowed these trials to come about in your life is so that you can point others, others like Daniel to the God of power, to the God of wisdom, to the God of love. Might that be a potential reason? Could that be it? Friends, when the bottom falls out, this is who we need to turn to, the God of heaven, the God of might, and the God of wisdom. For Daniel and his friends, God spoke to them in prayer and in praise. In the same way, if we want a breakthrough in our lives, if we want healing, if we want direction, if we want the strength to sustain, it comes when we turn to the God of heaven. Friends, there are some problems that we will face in life that can never, ever be solved except until we pray, except until we look up, that we can try to fix it with everything else that we have in our hands, but it's never, ever going to get better if what God ultimately wants is for you to come to him in dependence. You know, there's a story in Mark chapter 9 
Lord, the disciples can't heal a child from a deaf and mute spirit. And the disciples are embarrassed because, you know, they couldn't do it and people saw that. So they privately talk to Jesus and say, you know, why couldn't we drive out the spirit? And this is what Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 9. He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus is saying that there are some problems in your life where you can try every human solution and it will never work. That there are some problems in your life that are so deep, so rooted in your past, your parents and your traumas, some problems that are so deep that the only way you're going to come out of it is by prayer and praise. It's turning to the God of heaven. What we do in the prayer room might be the most important thing we do as a church. This is why, for us as a church, we pray Monday to Saturday at 6.30 a.m. and also at noon, noon, noon over Zoom as a church. This is why here at South Loop, we have a prayer meeting right before our worship service every single Sunday because their prayer room is not just a place to prepare for ministry. Many times, it's the very ministry that God calls us to. You know, as I wrap up, I want to give us some time to turn to the God of heaven. First is this. Do you need to take time to praise God? Right, once again, a temptation that happens when we fall into a time of crisis is that instead of praising God, we start gossiping. We start complaining. We start doing everything but looking to God. It's important that in these moments to spend the time to praise him. It's important to, to think about the prayers that God, has, that, that, that God has answered for you and what you can praise him for because when you spend the time to do this, it will build faith in your life because what you're doing is that when you recall and thank God for what he's done in the past, you are bringing that gratefulness into your present moment, into your present circumstances. Are there areas that you need to praise God for and bring that faith into the present circumstances that you're facing? Or secondly, do you need to do this? Do you need to take the time to go to God in need? That the bottom has fallen out and you've gone to bad old habits, habits that are to, to the horizontal. You know, it's kind of funny, but we all do this. You know, when I look at my oldest son and when he gets overwhelmed, when he doesn't know how to do his math homework or when he has a big test coming up, he begins to crack his knuckles nonstop and it's just so annoying but he goes to this, like it's just something soothing when he feels overwhelmed. Or some of us bite our nails, or we go to the fridge for ice cream, or we go to social media, or, or we go, even might go into a, a, a destructive, destructive habit. These are all forms of distraction, and there are ways of numbing us from calling out to God. Do you need God's help? And this is the more important piece. Will you allow yourself to be desperate for God's help. You know, I'm gonna challenge you all here today that after I pray for us here, we'll have our deacons standing around the room over here, and I wanna invite you. I wanna invite you to get on up, go to a deacon, you know, share just a few lines of what you're going through, and let me just tell you, our deacons would be so honored to pray for you, to, that, that they can be like your crew in crisis, that together they'll walk with you and turn to the God of heaven and lift you up. Now, I know that you're sitting here and you're like, oh, no, thank you. I, I don't want to do that. Friends, did you see the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel? Did you see the difference? One was unwilling to trust God. One gave their lives to God. Can I just encourage you? 
I know, it's, I know it's weird, I know it's wonky, I know that we, you might not feel comfortable doing it, but let me just say, that's the very barrier you need to get through to show your humility, to say that, God, I can't do it anymore. I don't have the resources, I can't fix this. In Psalm 121, it says, where does my help come from? It comes from above. It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Will you do that? So let me pray for us. We'll let our deacons get set up, our worship team get set up. And for those few moments, I encourage you just to come on up and to pray with them. So let me just pray for us here. Father God, Lord, we praise you and we thank you that even when we are overwhelmed, that God, that even when we are pushed to our limits, that God, that even when anxiety and fears fears just crush our hearts, God, you are there for us. That, Father, that you are present and that, Father, that you are there to give comfort and wisdom and strength. God, I would pray for us as a church that, God, you would help us, Lord, to be a people, to be just like Daniel. That, God, that when we're faced with the impossible, and, God, that's what happened. It was an impossible. The wise men said that this is impossible. No one can interpret or give these dreams. God, you make the impossible possible. And Father, some of us feel that way today. Everything feels so impossible. God, would you help us, Lord? Or to be able to go to a deacon, to be, to be prayed for, and God, to, to turn to the God who makes things possible, to turn to the God who can move mountains. Father, we thank you, Lord. God, we pray that your spirit will move mightily within this church. It's in Christ's name we pray.